Helma Wolitzer says she couldn't bring herself to host a memorial service for her husband of 68 years after his death to COVID-19. She said it took her about a year to have that service, virtually, by Zoom. Something that helped her was gathering up a collection of stories she'd published throughout the 60s and 70s for a new collection titled, Today a Woman Went Mad in the Supermarket. Among the stories in this collection is a brand new one she wrote sometime in September of 2020. The story brings to Helma Wallitzer fans, incredibly, another story that features the recurring characters of Paulette and Howard, a couple we've come to know over many decades as they manage romance, marriage, parenthood, infidelity, and more in their life together. In the 2020 story, Paulette and Howard have been together for six decades. They're still in New York City, and something everyone is calling a pandemic has changed their way of life forever. This is Book Public from Texas Public Radio. I'm Yvette Benavides. I spoke to author Hilma Wallitzer about her latest collection of stories, Today a Woman Went Mad in the Supermarket. So for our listeners who've not yet read this collection, how would you describe it to them? Well, it's a combination. It's a combination of very old stories and one very new story. And some of the stories follow the same characters through their falling in love and marrying and having children. And the final story in the collection is, takes them to the age of Coda and their old age, uh, which actually reflects my own life more than any of the other stories do. Uh, I usually don't write autobiographically, but I did for that final story because both my husband and I contracted COVID and he, very early on in the pandemic, and he died of it. So I, I did find myself writing about it. It was both painful and cathartic. But there are other stories in it too, and I hope that they capture the time that that most of them were written. The oldest one is 55 years old, and I hope that they're still relevant today. Well, so you you mentioned here that uh, the stories do date back to the 60s. One was published in the Saturday Evening Post 55 years ago. M my sense of things is that these stories won't be read today as, you know, sort of these dated classics or something, but as very relevant and resonant stories, sure of an earlier time. I mean, no one has a cell phone, but nobody has a computer. <laughs> you're right. Yeah. Uh, except in the last story, of course, but what remains are people and their relationships, their fears. And their inner lives. Yes. And I think that women's inner lives haven't really changed that much throughout the centuries, really. And certainly not in 55 years. I think they began to be aware of more things that, but, but I felt that they were troubled by certain circumstances in their lives. I, for one, loved being a wife and mother. I loved my domestic years. Uh, and I like especially that I could make use of them as fictional material. But I really think that even then, back when I was enjoying making all those Halloween costumes and, and birthday cakes, I was thinking that I wanted something else, but I didn't know what it was until I began writing. 
But there is such a timelessness in the stories that I can really appreciate. I mean, I became a mom in the late 90s, and yet there's so much that I respond to in a story that was first published in the 60s about... That, that makes me very happy. Um, very young, early readers at the publishers who were given the collection to read, I guess when they were making a decision about publishing it, the very young readers were very enthusiastic about them. And that so surprised and pleased me that they did have that timelessness for those readers and for you. Well, you know, and this is, it just reminds me so much about this idea in fiction. I love to read nonfiction and creative nonfiction, and we talk about how the truth is stranger than fiction, or the truth is so interesting to read, and creative nonfiction is so interesting for, for that reason, among many others. But the thing about fiction is that it is the truest truth. I don't know if that makes sense, but I feel like... It makes a lot of sense, because Grace Taylor, one of my favorite writers, used to tell her writing students, don't make your stories better, make them truer. And I understood that. And it didn't mean factual truth. Um, In some of my stories, there are general truths, and there is factual truth. And I think that's how you write fiction. There are universal truths. And... I'm very happy when a reader has some shock of recognition. I feel that way, too. Or uh, how do you know how I feel? Mm-hmm. Or how did you know how I feel? Which gives me a great deal of pleasure. Uh, just recently, uh, I opened a book of poetry, and a letter fell out. And the letter was from a child. I had written some children's books back in the 80s. And this letter came in the 80s, though it's not dated. And the child said something like how great it was to be able to write something that makes me feel you know how I feel. Ah. It was a wonderful letter. Uh, I posted it on my Facebook page covering the child's last name Mm because I felt he's now probably a man close to 50 who would like his privacy. But I was very moved by it. And it's exactly what a writer of fiction wants to have happen. What a beautiful, beautiful thing to to have happen to you. Um, It was wonderful. And he even had a marvelous postscript. He addressed me as Ms. Walitzer, and he said, P.S., I didn't know if you were married. I hope you don't mind. Oh, my gosh. That's so dear. That <laughs> it was is adorable. So, that is so precious. Further embarrassment for this <laughs> middle-aged man, probably. <laughs> well, and so speaking of, the, of making it even truer, I feel like your protagonists, your narrators, your first-person narrators, like Paulette, for instance, who is this recurring character, wife of Howard, um, they're so... uh, I I don't want to get into a discussion necessarily of the reliable or unreliable narrator. I just feel like they are so honest. They're so um, unfair unfiltered and not in a, in a negative way, but just in the way that they see the world and that they talk about it and they're trying to figure things out for themselves um, as they're telling the story. And 
as readers, we go along with them and the mysteries of life are displayed to us. And all we really need to stand in for anything else, there won't be a, a, a tidy resolution, but all we really need is the story and the sort of unraveling of these ideas that, that are laid out before us. I think that writing those stories gave me an outlet for those feelings. Even when I didn't write directly about my own experience, I think I would have been too shy to say some of the things out loud <laughs> when I wrote them in those stories. And that reflects the time period as well, uh, when women didn't use certain language. Uh, I had one story, um, I won't name the magazines, but the story was taken by a magazine, and it had a word in it that the one of the editors, I think it was the editor-in-chief, took object, was objected to, and um, he changed the word. And then, for some reason, the magazine dropped the story, and another magazine, a smaller, more literary magazine, picked it up and reinserted that word. Wow. And I felt really triumphant about it. Wow, I can imagine that. So imagine that kind of censoring, right? It's really kind of incredible. Um, and when you're writing, you don't feel as if there's a censor sitting yes. on your shoulder. Yes. You really don't. And I found that my current publishers and, and magazines that I've published in lately uh, are much more accepting of anything you say, as long as you say it well. Exactly. Well, back to Paulette and Howard. I mean, we see them as um, a young couple dealing with the things that young couples do with children and parenting jobs, domestic roles, bills, um, fidelity, and in-laws. When you revisited these stories from decades ago, when you yourself were the ages of those characters, how did you encounter, for example... Paulette and her sense of um, these kinds of uh, really problematic things that she was going through, right? This a suspicion about her husband with another woman, or that maybe she, maybe she could have been going through some postpartum depression that made her feel sometimes disconnected, or there, there is so complex. These characters are so absolutely complex. And that's something that I love about them. It's not just they're flawed like the rest of us, but they are really dealing with complicated issues that, as we were saying, are very difficult for us to be honest about. And yet, here they are for us to, to try to understand. I think all people are complex, yes. actually. And Though the stories, as I said, aren't directly about me, of course I have to use my perception of the world in them. I don't have anyone else's except the people I read. But they're also the consideration of the other. So I always think of Paulette and Howard as neighbors who've moved away, but I've always wondered what happened to them. Um, they, they seem real to me, uh, even though they are fabricated. They seem very real to me. In fact, when um, I got to the 2020 story called The Great Escape, I was so struck by 
this idea of um, encountering them again in this new way and also of encountering Anne and Jason, their children, um, and and sort of saying, oh, they're still together, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a surprise, isn't it? <laughs> so it was a lovely surprise. Um, well, as I said, they're really not my husband and me, but my husband, my husband and I were married for 68 years. Right. So the experience of being long married, even without that particular history, uh, was very available to me. And the whole business of the pandemic... Yes. Uh, was very real to me because it was happening very terribly in New York as it is now in Texas, I know. Yes. And I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, so in that sense, I used real, actual events, or some of them, and not exactly as they happened, though. Uh, Emily Dickinson said, tell the truth, but tell it slant. Mm. And I take that quite seriously. Oh, I, I so see that idea in this story. Um, it would seem to me that a lot of what you write about COVID-19 in New York City in this story is based, obviously, on your own lived experiences. But the details, of course, come through maybe because of this slant um, so strikingly universal somehow and something about the pacing of that story that for me rather adds to the the pathos of the story because it seems like it's it's moving very fast things are we're we're sort of we're in the zoom uh book club which is a priceless scene in the story um i love that i just love it um um, I had a lot of trouble with Zoom in the beginning. Now that I've mastered Zoom, I feel like a genius, I must say. <laughs> I don't have a touch tone, a touch screen uh-huh. on my computer, yet I was frantically touching it to, to, <laughs> to unmute myself. Oh. And it was, it was insane. And so I had a lot of fun writing that passage oh, about the book club, the Zoom book club. Perfect. It was per- but, you know, and that, but it really put me in the mind back right back to those days where you know suddenly it was march 13th march 15th and everybody was supposed to stay home flights were canceled left and right nobody could find a mask to wear or they were just exactly so exp- and you touch on every single one of those emerging issues that we were all sort of shaking our heads about and saying what in the world? And we had a little bit of information and people warning us, but it was just this intangible thing that that we just couldn't. N- not I that know we it couldn't, felt. Yeah, it felt so urgent. Yes, and we still don't know everything. Right. Which is which is quite scary. Uh, but I think we've made great strides. But there are a lot more to be made. You know, in some ways, literature, in many ways, obviously, literature and art document periods and situations and major events in our lives. And so I'm, I would like to ask you, what will The Great Escape reveal to readers years from now about these particular pandemic experiences? I know we're not post-pandemic. 
I know we're not, I know, I know we're still very much in this new phase of the pandemic, but what, what will the great escape do you think reveal to readers? Um, well, I hope, I hope it will make people aware of how it was sort of sprung on us and how we were foolishly living our ordinary lives and how long it took us to really understand how serious it was and how it altered one's daily existence. Um, When my husband came down with COVID first, he was so disabled, he couldn't even stand up and I had to call 911 and Somebody came, and as in the story, they took him off, and I never even had a chance to say goodbye to him. And a few days later, I began to cough and was home. So I was home for about eight days when my fever spiked, and I had to call an ambulance for myself. And then he died two days before I came home. So this was, this was such a, an unusual time in my own experience. I'm 91 years old. And I don't remember, and I lived through the Depression and World War II and, and a lot of ma- major issues in the country, but I don't remember feeling so altered personally by any experience as I do by this. Um, it changed the way we deal with friends and, and relatives. My children couldn't visit my husband in the hospital. Nobody saw him off. Nobody was able to come to see me. There were no, and even though I never really believed that the rituals uh, of mourning really mattered, they do. And being deprived of them was very, very difficult. Not being able to sit with the people you love and hold one another and comfort one another was, was really quite wrenching. And it took me a whole year a year to the day of my husband's death, to do a memorial service for him. And, of course, it was a Zoom memorial service, Mm -hmm. and I was able to get it right this time. And many, many friends and relatives came. And oddly enough, even though I was skeptical, I felt very consoled by it. And I felt writing the story somewhat consoling at the same time that it was heartbreaking to write. I'm so sorry about your loss and everything you went through. And, you know, we would read about these um, these ways that our loved ones, loved ones were in the hospital and people couldn't say goodbye except through a cell phone that the nurse was holding up to the patient and these sorts of nightmarish things that you, I'm, I'm considering right now that after almost 70 years of being together... Uh, Yes, and I have to say that in your 90s, you know that one of you is going to die in the near future. And this is something we talked about and tried to accept and tried to joke about when Mm. we could. (laughs) Uh, But it was the circumstances of this, the vanishing rather rather than somebody dying with loved ones around them, all the obituaries that you read that always said died peacefully surrounded by family. Mm-hmm. I don't know how he died. I wasn't there. And 
I never got to speak to whoever was there, if anyone really was at that moment of death. So I, I really don't know. So I try not to focus on that. I try to focus mm-hmm. on the happy years, mm-hmm. um, the children, the grandchildren, mm-hmm. the wonderful bonuses of marriage. Yes. Well, in her foreword, Elizabeth Strout says to start with the story called Nights, if we have ever suffered from insomnia. And frankly, um, I do. <laughs> Me too. Into this. But, and Paulette too, I think. Um, and other characters, I think they're so, just so wakeful. <laughs> they're so wakeful and they're so... That's a wonderful word. Yeah. Um, and I feel like maybe... It's it's been exacerbated because of the pandemic. I'm not sure, but the story doesn't necessarily make you understand insomnia any better. But as Elizabeth Stroud says, it will make you understand that you are not alone in the world, and that's what literature does. So, but for me, I find that the short story is a form that accomplishes this in ways that are different than than novels that even than even your novels do not better not worse but just in a very in a very different way um do you yes i agree I, I i do agree they somehow help us understand maybe because of the economy of the space we f- we feel like we can know each other maybe in a more immediate way about a, a specific thing, even an unsayable thing that remains mysterious to us, but we somehow feel like we, we have it in common. Um, and I really see this quality in this collection, um, story after story, where it's this, this resonance, um, this, this mystery of life that's sort of sprung open for us to examine and recognize suddenly uh, that is some aspect from our own lives. And your stories are in first-person point of view, and I find your narrators, uh, I'm just going to say, go back to this idea about unreliability and reliability. I find them wholly reliable. <laughs> but oh, thank you. <laughs> That's I, a great compliment. I, I really do. But I wonder if you can talk a little bit about your choice to write in the first person. Well, I don't always write in the first person, but when I do, I feel more connected because I begin writing uh, sometimes when you give a reading and people will ask in the Q&A, where do you get your ideas? And I realize I don't get ideas. I get characters, Mm -hmm. and my characters tell me their story. And most often they would start with a single sentence, and most often in the first person, as if somebody has sat down next to me and said, let me tell you about my life. I just totally see that. I'm, and that takes me to the title story, Today a Woman Went Mad in the Supermarket. It, Quite I, a title, right? I love it. <laughs> it was so long, I was afraid it wouldn't fit on the dust jacket, along uh, with my mouthful of a name. Oh, no, it's kind of perfect. That story, I mean, from the outset, it, it, it's, it, this is exactly what you've just described. It's This character is telling you the story. I mean, even a character that's not able 
able to articulate, as we see with this poor woman with the empty purse and these children in the supermarket, isn't able to articulate the story. But the narrator is telling us all we need, we really need to know. Um, yeah, people ask me about the title. What do I mean by the title? And of course, there's a literal meaning. A woman actually has a nervous breakdown in a supermarket. But then there's a metaphorical meaning. I think it reflects a lot about the turmoil that some women felt during that particular period of time. This was on the cusp of the second wave of feminism. And in that sense, it it just reflects that, and the supermarket seemed like an ideal setting because it's so full of all that domestic bounty. And women were thinking about their domestic lives, which I will never give short shrift to since mine was not only pleasing, but as I said, gave me an awful lot of literary material. <laughs> well, and these women are so industrious. They're so uh, resourceful. They're always thinking. They're so... I just love these characters, um, and again, there, there's a that time. That's what makes part of what makes I think makes it so timeless and makes these characters so memorable. Um, and I wonder too if you would consider bringing Paulette back in you know some 2021 stories. That's a book I really would love to read. That's a wonderful idea. I have to say, my daughter, my writing daughter, I have two wonderful daughters, and my writing daughter, Meg, suggested that I write a book about a character, uh, the mother-in-law in the book, in the, in the story, in the final story, who uh, goes on to become the mer merry widow of Boca Raton. Oh, yes. And Meg liked that so much, she wanted that to be the title of my next book. <laughs> and I actually began writing it. But it could it could include her daughter-in-law, Paulette, who comes to visit her in Florida. Oh, I would love to to uh, be privy to those scenes between those two women. I would love that. Oh, to have readers before you've written. That's a, that's a writer's dream. <laughs> well, Hilma Wolitzer, I cannot thank you enough. What an honor and a thrill to get to talk to you today. Thank you so much. Thank you. That. Hilma Wolitzer is the author of the story collection, Today a Woman Went Mad in the Supermarket. This has been Book Public from Texas Public Radio. Write to us at bookpublic at tpr.org. Jacob Rosati composed our theme music. Dan Katz is Texas Public Radio's news director. I'm Yvette Benavides. <laughs>